everyone. Welcome to day 20. I can't believe we're at day 20 out of 50. We've got 30 days left. We've got 30 days left. This is the 7 a.m. Novelist 58 day uh, writing challenge, first draft edition. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Uh, I'm hearing from a lot of people that this uh, webinar and podcast is helping folks get back to your desk, helping you get back to your writing projects which is exactly what I hoped for. So I hope you kind of feel that energy of other people working beside you um, as, you're, as you're trying to do what you're trying to do. Um, and, you know, we've got, we've got, I don't know, a couple hundred signed up for the live webinar. And of course on Sunday mornings, not all of them are showing up, but that's okay. They listen afterwards. And then we've got 750 people on Substack at least, and, we, and it keeps growing. Um, so there's a lot of people working with you. Um, and you know, on some days you do good work and some days you don't do good work, but it's great to just show up, try to show up every day or try to show up every other day and get something done, whether it works out or not. Um, okay, so we're close to the end of point of view week. And today we're gonna talk more deeply about the idea or the problem of the author narrator character merge that we brought up before when we were with Steve Almond and Kate Reculio. We've got two amazing authors to help us out, Chuchi Saraswat and Karen Wilfred. So before, um, well, let's see. Now I'll give them introductions first. Shuchi Saraswat is a writer and editor based in Boston. Both these folks are locals. Her work has appeared in Agni, the Boston Globe, the Boston Art Review, Ecotone, Coffee House Writers Project, Tim House Online, Aerosmith, and elsewhere. Her essay, The Journey Home, received a special pushcart prize mention and it is anthologized in Trespass. Ecotone essayist beyond the boundaries of place, identity, and feminism. For 10 years, she worked as an independent bookseller in Massachusetts, so she's one of our heroes. And she also there founded the Transnational Literature Series at Brookline Booksmith, a reading series focused on stories of migration, the intersection of politics and literature, and works in translation. And in 2019, she served as a judge for the National Book Award in Translated Literature. She is now an associate editor and a co-nonfiction editor for the literary journal Agni, and she teaches classes in creative nonfiction at Grub Street. So we've got both a nonfiction person and a fiction person today, though she also works in fiction. So I think that we'll get a good discussion going there. Karen Wilfred, um, she was in the novel incubator with us. She's a seventh grade English teacher and author of the forthcoming middle grade novel, Just Lizzie, about an asexual teenager who is trying to figure out her place in the world. She specializes in fiction, essays, and teenage middle schoolers, um, teaches middle schoolers the finer, finer points of comma usage. That must be a nightmare, Karen. Um, after receiving her degree in creative writing in Spanish from Oberlin, she taught English in Spain for two years under Fulbright before settling in Massachusetts. Her work has appeared in Cicada Magazine, Publishers Weekly, and Embark Literary Journal. Just Lizzie is her first novel, uh, Karen, when does your when does the book come out? Do you have the publication date for that yet? Yes, we do. It's November fourteenth, twenty twenty three. Ah, fantastic! That's so exciting. All right, okay. So let's get going. Um, giving you a basic definition of this problem of the author narrator character merge, which is an idea that Frederick Reichen, um realized basically as he taught at Emerson and Shuchi actually was with him as um, in class when he was teaching. So um, she has a unique point of view on this. So this is the problem when the writer does not imagine that there is actually a separation between you, the author, 
your style and what you know, and even what your intentions are for writing the project. A separation between that and the narrator that you're creating on the page that's there on the page, whose voice is on the page there to guide us. And the narrator also has their own knowledge of their story, um, their own relationship to the story. They might have their own opinion of the protagonist that is separate from the author. Um, and they have their intention in telling the story. And then you have the character. The character doesn't really know what's going on. The character is just trying to like get their bagels in the morning um, and survive their life. And um, they have their own intentions that is much closer to hand. Um, and so those, those three are very, very separate. And Shuchi is gonna start us out talking about um, some problems that authors hit in navigating these. And, and maybe we can and hopefully how to avoid the problems and really produce wonderful uh, fiction. Suchi, go ahead. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. And hi, Karen. Um, so yeah, I, I was actually, I got my MFA in fiction, um, oh gosh, I think in 2009 at Emerson. And so I studied with Rick in 2006 and 2007. So that's quite some years ago now. And um, I've been mainly focusing on essay writing since then, yet the author narrator character merge has been something that I've carried with me all those years um, and that I immediately found as a problem in, in nonfiction writing as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think what it boils down to is a, is the, the, the perspective we have and the, the, the layers of perspective and distance um, between these three sort of tiers they're actually not so separate as it may sound. I mean, I think this is the really complicated um, yeah. element of it. When you start to describe author and narrator character merge and you feel like you have a grasp on it, the questions that inevitably arise are like, well, you know, but I do feel like, especially with essayists, like I'm still going through the thing that I am writing about. So where right. does that separation actually happen and how? And so um, to me, I think it's, it's, it's the actual realization that there are three yeah. and then not holding to the fact that there are three, but just the awareness that there are three that are always sort of working in conjunction with each other and, inter you know, I guess um, getting in each other's way sometimes that can be very productive, yeah. um, especially if the way that they're getting in each other's way is, um, is a source of energy for, for the novel. Um, and, and well, I want to talk about this in a little bit, but, you know, kind of the way that you can actually use that narrator to infuse energy in, in, in the novel, um, with some essayistic tools. Um, but right. I'll, but I'll pause there. I don't know if that's a, that's a good stopping point. It's excellent. And, and yeah, it, it, the awareness of this in order to add tension and interest to your text. Um, and, and the biggest thing is just to make sure that your character is, has an entity on the page, has a physical self on the page. And normally in order to do, do that, that, that we really have to figure out, well, who is the, who's, who's the character on the page as separate from me? Mm -hmm. um, and particularly a memoir. I, I see that a lot and I never thought of that before because I haven't written a lot of nonfiction, but creating that separate persona on the page just so that they exist, just so that they appear. Because otherwise it can just be an observer role. Mm -hmm. um, and you've already got an observer. You've already got the narrator and you've already got the author. You don't need another observer. So Karen, what has been your experience in working, um, particularly with your uh, middle grade novel and trying to find that separation or using the energy of how close they are together to, to help your fiction? 
Um, I would say it's been not only this project, but also years of creative writing workshops that drilled into me the idea that just because it really happened doesn't mean the reader will believe that it, find it believable that it really happened in your piece of writing. Mm -hmm. And it takes, I think it takes being called on that a couple of times to understand and believe that it's true when someone in a workshop or another reader says, I don't understand why this character did X and your internal thought is, but that's what they really said. Um, yeah. And understanding that that's not good enough, that it has to be compelling and really true to the character you've created in the story in order for readers to seamlessly go along and, and buy into that. And um, in workshops where it was my writing and also workshops when it was other students writing, seeing what that feels like as a reader and even hearing someone say, oh, but that's that's what he really said or that's what really happened. And understanding how that's not good enough had helped me when I approached this project, which um, my main character, Lizzie, is 14 years old. And while a lot of the most of the events in the story did not happen to me, I would say that a lot of her reflections and her internal process were what I went through as a middle schooler, um, questioning my own sexual identity and ultimately identifying as asexual. And um, I, I found it helpful giving her things that, like knowing that, that those things happened to her that didn't happen to me. Sometimes they were even things that I wished that had happened to me that hadn't, that kind of helped keep that separate, um, that sense of separation, like the, the PE teacher in, in the novel who um, she ends up taking a women's self-defense class and the character, I pictured that character like a gym teacher I had at one point who I did not have a good relationship <laughs> with. And she ends up having having a good relationship with that teacher. So even quality in it that, um, you know, I was able to envision for this character, things that I hadn't had myself and that um, just helped keep, keep me imagining her as somebody separate from me, but who still shared some of my thoughts. Yeah, so you were actually able to use um, your experience, which is also necessary because sometimes we actually need we need the author and the narrator, or at least the author to understand the character more and, and to get closer to the character more. So to feed off of actual past experience from yourselves, um, I've done that too, because I've always written about characters that were living way back when, but when I could discover something similar between us, I could use that emotionally <laughs> um, to help. Um, but, and then Karen, were there, are there some ways that, so how are you different from Lizzie particularly? Like, does she have certain strengths or weaknesses that you were able to use or certain intention in the scene that you were able to focus on that was like, okay, this is not me and helps put her on the page? Um, I'd say a big thing that I kind of realized through getting questions about it in the, the drafting process was that Lizzie is less of a grade perfectionist than I am. So um, perfectionism in her grades. And I got questions and her classmates like, how much is Lizzie invested in this? Or why, you know, like, I don't remember what sort of questions about her schoolwork. Um, but 
that yeah, so I, that, works. Like that was a very big it. part of <laughs> Yeah. Just finding that separate mm. obsession. Like she's not as, as obsessed with yeah. me as me, as I am. So, so everything that, yeah. Um, Shuchi, um, carry forward on this. Like you yeah. were also, we already got a question in the chat about autofiction and I know you wanted to move <laughs> yeah. forward with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, just to kind of expand on what Karen's talking about, you know, um, we're thinking a lot about building character. And I think that that's um, a really, a really fun part of, of the novel writing process is thinking about this character as their whole own separate being and um, and giving them you know their own kind of enthusiasms and triggers and and all that and I think you know equally thinking about the narrator in that way is important in distinguishing this you know these three kind of author narrator character separations and so but if we could talk about the narrator and developing the narrator. Um, and I think just because I'm, again, speaking from um, an essayist's point of view at the moment, I'm thinking about first person really, um, but what sort of makes a narrator who is in a first person um, novel likely some step removed in some way from the action of the novel and is kind of looking at the action of the novel and um, knows much more than their character self knows yes. and has to um, really be the one to sort of um, create the tension, right? So thinking about that narrator, I think off the page, I don't think that development needs to happen on the page, but thinking about that narrator, where are they at this point in time relative to the character who is undergoing the story? And how does that, how is what they have gone through in the story maybe um, change their voice or their tone. Um, and just thinking about all of that, I think is really helpful in establishing a narrative voice mm -hmm. that is, or persona that is different from the character who may be themselves that they're writing about. Um, and that's a, that's a really, I, I think that's just as important and maybe is, is part of where the merge starts to happen is we forget to develop that narrator in the same way that we would develop the character. Right. And, and in first person too, I mean, we are separate from the characters that are acting out whatever on the page. Mm -hmm. um, and our voice is different. <clears throat> hopefully, I mean, hopefully if I'm telling a story, like if I, was, if I was writing Karen's book and I was writing a story about a 14 year old that shared some emotional things with me at the same time, I would still, well, I could choose, I could choose my narrative stance. I could, I could decide, okay, how old is my narrator? Is my narrator um, 50? Uh, that probably would not be uh, good for a YA novel. <laughs> so is my narrator 15, uh, 16? I forget, Karen, what decision did you make for your narrator's stance? Um, and were you working in, in present tense or past? I was going to say, this was, a, this was a tough one when this topic came, you know, when we came to this topic in novel incubator class, uh, I had to think hard about it because having a first person present tense narrator it's the narrator and character feel very close. So I had to think about it as, you know, that the narrator is sort of like Lizzie's reflective thoughts, like watching with a little bit of remove, like watching her as she's going through these things. And it also helped the fact that I set my book in the present day. I mean, pre-COVID present day, um, because that also, I had to pay attention to the way that students my own students today talk right. and interact with each other and not just rely on what I remembered from my own 
mm-hmm. middle school experience. And sometimes I got called on that too. Like I've had students read it and say, I've never heard a student, I've never heard a like seventh grader use that word mm-hmm. or um, this is how we actually text each other, which was really helpful. And, and creates that separation more because you're learning about the world. Yeah. Suchi, go ahead. Yeah. I was just wondering, Karen, was your, um, is your novel in present tense or in past tense? Yeah, it's in present tense. Ah, There's something about the, the immediacy of it that to me just really fits with the middle grade. I mean, middle, middle grade YA, that's kind of the expectation. So I do think that you have less narrative distance in Mm -hmm. middle grade and YA. And that's, and that's just more expected. But if you're working in an adult fiction or nonfiction, you're expected to have more of that distance. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Suchi, how do you, so if it is present tense, I've got an answer for this, but how do you navigate? Cause people then are like, well, of course my narrator is the same as my character because it's present tense. I, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I think, you know, one of the the essayistic tools that I think of as most helpful uh, or something that can carried over in fiction writing is is the essayist in trying to answer a question um, or a series of questions is always looking outward um, and using various um, whether they're thinking about art or history or film or um, something that happened. Um, in the world outside of their own, um, they use sort of that outward focus as a way to sort of understand something about themselves. And um, I'm trying to think of, you know, the, the, there's a wonderful novel novel called Territory of Light. Um, and the author is uh, Yuko Tsushima and it was, um, it's translated. And um, I'm unfortunately forgetting the translator's name at the moment, which is terrible of me, but um, it was, published a few years ago, but actually the book was written in the seventies and it was a novel serialized. Um, <clears throat> and it was very much considered autofiction. And um, in that she was, uh, it was assumed that a lot of what Tsushima was writing about was, was what was actually happening in her life. Um, and it's about a woman who leaves her husband and has a young daughter and they move into this apartment. And it's literally just, you know, every, every chapter is like a month um, that has gone by and she's just sort of writing about, about that time. Um, And so there's a real diaristic um, way about it, but there is a separation. And I think it's similar to what Karen is talking about. It's sort of um, because of what she's almost going through a trauma in a sense. So there is an actual detachment that is happening of herself. You know, she is, she's not fully present in her life. And Mm -hmm. so I think in this novel, she can really play to that and she can use that detachment. Um, And so she's kind of, she daydreams a lot. She's looking at the setting a lot. She's looking at other people a lot and kind of ignoring her daughter. And her daughter is sort of the present and is the the way she gets snapped back to the present. Um, And so it's, there is emotion there, but maybe it's not kind of burrowing in the emotions as much as it's casting outward and the emotional landscape um, is conveyed through that casting outward. Yes, yes. And so, and there's also, so there'll be moments in your book too, where the narrator might really be quite close to the character to, to the point that we feel that the narrator does disappear. And those will oftentimes happen at those most emotional moments when we almost, the, the, 
the the moment al almost moves into stream of consciousness because we're just right there and it doesn't feel like there's mediation. It doesn't feel like um, things are being chosen. So, um, and but hopefully that will happen in, in an important moment because if I were to do that sitting here at my desk, my narration would be, I'm sitting here at my desk. I'm talking to my computer. I, I'm drinking my tea. I don't know what time it is. You know, that is not a, a readable, interesting, because <laughs> I don't know what's important. Um, I don't know how to pace it. Mm -hmm. um, so so even, even present tense is almost pretending as if the narrator is right there in the motion with the character right there in time, but they're not. They're still making choices. They're still, mm -hmm. they're still making choices. Um, and then, and so Karen, um, as you were working on this was, I think I also to talk about, um, these sort of difficulties when we have a emerged author narrator character, or when people don't understand that there's a separation in terms of their feedback to the book. Um, Karen, did you undergo any of that? Because I think a lot, a lot of people thought, Oh, Oh, it's Karen, it's Lizzie, it's Karen, it's Lizzie. Um, and, and I think people then make assumptions um, about that connection and that can be hard for the author to handle. Um, how did you go about that? Or how do you find yourself still navigating that? Because you might still be navigating that because your book is still gonna come out there and it's gonna be read by thousands and thousands. Yeah, honestly, that was something that I had to think about as I was in the early stages of this project. and. I've been asked by people who know me well, like, is this hard for you to like think about putting out there in the world? It feels very vulnerable and it is. Um, but I think I've always something, this might sound weird, but so, like I have a like religious journal keeper. So I just like have, and have done that for many years. And so I've like had the thoughts over the years, like what if someone read this? Cause no one is allowed to read them obviously. Um, and I thought like, what would it be like if suddenly like everyone in the world just automatically knew everything that I had written in my journals. And I thought, even if that impossible thing could happen, like I would stand by like everything that I wrote, like, I don't want that to happen, but, um, like I would be okay somehow because I like everything that I wrote, I believe is true. And I would stand by, it. and I think it helps to have that attitude when putting one's writing into the world as well, that. Um, you know, there are things that I wrote about that are true to me. And then there are things that I just made up and, um, but all of it, I would stand by as being part of this project. Excellent. And so notice that's really important. It's a great place to be, but notice that's the author's vantage. Mm -hmm. I'm putting vulnerabilities out there. I'm putting things out there. I'm okay. in how you react to it, or I'm okay that, that, you know, this is, this is being placed out there. Whereas young Lizzie, the character would probably be freaking out, <laughs> right? And cause she's still in the moment of discovery. She hasn't reached that uh, maturity yet. And the narrator too is probably not there. So that is definitely thinking about in terms of who am I the author? What is my attitude towards this material, the author and even my emotional attitudes uh, towards towards the character and towards the um, the thing that I'm creating is important. And it also I think can help you handle the feedback that you're getting if you if you are writing about a certain identity that other people um, um, that that other people might not have read as much about before. Yeah, Suchi, do you have any um, experience with this or any thoughts about this? 
Well, because you are working with, you've worked with a lot of international writers um, that are trying to possibly introduce their worlds, I guess. Well, I guess they're, they're, of course, publishing in their own countries, hopefully, but also trying to introduce their worlds to American mindset, which can be somewhat closed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's, hmm, well, in, in that context, it's very, it's very challenging because sometimes writers who whose work does get translated and published in the U.S., they can sometimes end up being sort of a cultural stand-in for the entire country that they have been writing from or the language that they're writing from. And so um, I think that that actually, you know, and, and they have to say that this, this is one work, this is a work of fiction, or even if it's a work of nonfiction, it is one person's experience. It doesn't stand in for an entire um, culture or community. And right. I, that's um, that's important when you're writing from any perspective that um, can be, you know, perceived as a marginalized um, perspective that you are suddenly speaking for a whole community. Um, and that's, I think, something many, many, you know, BIPOC writers struggle with. And um, yeah. knowing that, you know, especially if they, if there aren't a lot of books by, by people who look like them that are being published in the world, um, they, you know, feel a lot of pressure to, to be as fair as possible and represent as many angles as possible. But, but a single work can't, can't do all that work. And I think, you know, Karen, what you're saying in, is in being true to the character and really being true to their in their one way of experiencing the world it is it is you know part of the beauty of the novel is being um in getting to read an intimate um being an intimate space with an another individual and their mind and their way of perceiving the world and always knowing that it's that it's another individual you're seeing that world through um, or, a mul or multiple, you know, characters, but it's still a, a very, a slice, you know, it is not the whole. Um, right. And I, 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 that's just, I think, useful in memoir too, to think about that um, in essays and memoir, of course, people get that question all the time is, you know, how do your parents feel about what you wrote? And, um, and, and there's no good answer to that other than feeling like I stand by it. Um, you know, this is authentic to my experience and is true to my experience. And I've been as honest as possible about the people I'm writing about. And I've been just as hard on them as I've been on myself. Yeah. Um, and also to think about if you are trying to write a book that, that people actually have problems with in terms of representation, um, to realize that what they're reacting to is what's on the page and the implied author that's coming out from the page. And the implied author might be making a lot of mistakes that you as a person are like, oh no, I didn't mean that. Um, but to open yourselves to those sorts of criticism, to be, to be uh, humble to those sorts of criticism and to, to listen, um, because that can be super, super helpful to you. What is what are the implications that my text is putting out that I'm not completely in control of? Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, it's not really about, they're not saying necessarily something about you, they're saying something about the implied author. Um, mm -hmm. and, that's, and that's something that's, that's also separate from you. It's what's on the page and it's what you can control. We're getting more questions still. I do think there is more difficulty to separate um, the author and narrator from mm -hmm. the narrator and character. Now, mm -hmm. Karen though, so you said that your narrator was how old again? Because your character is 14. 
Yeah, I thought of my narrator as the same age, but like you were saying, Michelle, that you're, the narrator is making decisions about what's worth putting to words. And that's a helpful way to think about it, that like every moment by moment thought that Lizzie has or action that she takes isn't recorded on the page, but that the narrator is like filtering that somehow so that we, the readers, are getting the relevant reflective parts and plot developing moments that are ultimately moving the whole story forward. So the narrator somehow knows where this is all going, even though it hasn't happened yet and is putting the relevant parts on the page for us. And yet the narrator does not know about uh, sexual identity politics, right? Cause she's 14 <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and the narrator does not know that the author exists in 2022. Uh, the narrator does not know, the narrator again has certain intentions in telling the story has a certain attitude towards the character that the author is, it's, it's different. The author has different intentions and the author very well could be creating a problematic narrator. Um, a narrator who um, is actually quite nasty to their character, a narrator who actually doesn't like the character. Um, and so that could also be an unreliable narrator um, where the author is trying to show us a certain sort of perspective on that kind of character in order to say something that they want to say. Suchi, how do you think about this? And how do you separate the author and the uh, narrator? Um, well, you know, Vivian Gornick, who is an essayist, writes about the persona um, and thinking about, um, you know, she I think she's using the example of writing a eulogy and being so close to that grief. And the persona is, um, I guess, a way to think about, um, it is a version of the self that is, that is being projected forward. Um, we have personas that we are using every day in our life. Um, it is, whether it's your work persona or, you know, the person that you are, um, you know, with with friends or, you know, with your kids, there is, you're not always giving your full self all the time. And so I think it is a useful um, to think about that in when you're writing the novel as well, you are not putting everything of yourself on, the page. It's not useful to include, well, right now I'm really grumpy because of an argument I had last night. I mean, that doesn't, it's not relevant to the novel. So it is a, it is a version of you that is the narrator and it is separate from you at that moment and whatever you're feeling. Um, and that, and, and that persona, that narrator will exist as they're on their own and start to have their own life that is separate from the character and from you. Yes, yes. And so we have another question in the chat that we're going to have to go quickly, but um, what if you're writing about a central character and possible narrator who has politics that are different from yours and even egregious to yours? And how do you make sure that you're not going to be run over on the street when you put this book out? I mean, I think the important thing is, Judith, as you say, you said you use a lot of characters in the book to hold her feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. So the important thing is to have that character be questioned um, by the text, um, by the by the overarching narrative voice, or by, by other characters, um, just to make sure that we um, are getting signals that the characters' beliefs are not the author's beliefs. And so the world, the, the world is challenging it, right? That the, yes. the you world build in that point to kind of I think show that the the narrator is separate is different from the world around them, and the world around them shows the author's awareness of of those difficulties. I think. Yeah. I think, again, I always love the story, um, Mademoiselle Diaz de Corda by um, Mavis Gallant, because 
we like her character, but the character is also ridiculous. She talks about, you know, two thirds of this group and four fifths of this group and a third of this group does da 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 da. And the math doesn't make sense. She's making all sorts of assumptions that just so obviously in terms of just basic reality and, and fact just doesn't make sense. And so then we begin to question that side of her belief system. Um, okay, guys, we got to go. I got to get you to your writing desk. Um, I really hope everyone has a good writing day today. It's Sunday. Um, and what else could you possibly do on a Sunday uh, but write and ignore your family and ignore everything else you have to do? So tomorrow is our last day of Point of View. We're going to talk about voice with Rachel Berenbaum and Evie Bartels. And if you support what we're doing, please uh, share and follow and rate the 7am novelist podcast or tell other people about our Substack page. We still have 30 days left so people can still join. Um, that's still a full um, writing challenge right there for normal people. Uh, you can find the full schedule if you're just now turning in at 7amnovelist.substack.com. And everyone have a fantastic day and I hope you get some work done. Thank you so much. Thank you, you. Michelle. Do you really understand how you sift for a love in the sand? Like a leaf inside the wind, and you go where it tells you to go. But you never wonder why there isn't nothing here at all.